Judges chapter 13. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Behold, now you are barren, and you have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean things. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I have commanded. And then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtel.
I've heard this question again this week. How can I learn to hear Jesus? How can I enter in and abide in His presence? When we read what the Bible says about the catching up, the rapture of the church, we believe and we know there is a day coming when the Lord will say, Come up here and the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive will rise with them. And I absolutely believe that to be the truth because the Bible says so. But what about now? What about right now in our lives? Today? What about until that time when we get caught up? Because something that I've I've begun to realize can happen. We can focus so much on the catching up, on the rapture. The harpazo is the word in the Greek in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Focus so much on that, look forward so much to that, that we can actually miss the time we have with Jesus right now. It's not an either or, it's both and. The Lord wants us to come into His presence, to learn to walk with Him today in this life. And to look forward to the day when He calls us up and it will be unlike anything that we have experienced or can experience to that point. But we can be in a living, breathing, walking, real, experiential, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ today. But it's a great question. How can I learn to hear Jesus? I've heard it time and time and time again. It comes up often. And not just with new believers, by the way. It comes up with some of us old timers who have been around this thing for a while. We find ourselves sitting in church or in a Bible study or or with friends and kind of going, I just wish I could be closer. I wish I could experience more of His presence. It's the heart cry when we consider and think about the Lord to have more of Him. Now, I'm a pretty simple guy. But the answer to this question, I really believe, is far easier than we make it out to be. Far more simple. And in fact, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you already know the answer. Before we consider this, let's, let's go to the Father. Father... Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. We come before you this morning asking that you will bless this time. Seeking to know you and understand you better. Desiring, Lord, to learn what it means to walk in your presence. Father, my tendency is to um, to figure out and to try to explain With a teacher's heart, Lord, I want to know all the the nitty-gritty, the ins and outs. And I want to uh, build a case, and I want to live by that. And and it's so easy, Father, for me to slip back into law, because I want to think about the things I can do. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us what it really means to walk in your presence. And Father, we ask you for this. We ask, Spirit of Jesus, that your presence would be so real here that you would be palpable and and felt among us. We ask, Jesus, that we might truly experience you now and then. 
And as we experience you, may we just be, Lord, reflectors, mirrors of your glory that shine into this dark world. We pray your light spread out from this place as we are your instruments and your children. And simply, fathers, we walk with you. Spirit, we ask your teaching and your guidance through these words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We've already um, gone through much of the book of Judges. We're in chapter 13. You may look ahead and say, well, there are several chapters to go. The reality is we are to the last of the Judges. If you're not including Samuel, who gets his, his own book in a little bit here. Don't include Samuel. We're to the last of the judges. We've looked at Othniel and Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Abimelech, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. And now we come to the most known of the judges, at least in generic language. More people have heard of Samson than any other judge. More people have learned or heard the stories about Samson, about this this great man, this Superman. I have a vivid uh, recollection of a full-color portrait. It was in our big white family Bible, sat down by our fireplace when I was growing up, and it had these, these old kind of Renaissance paintings throughout it. One of them was a picture of Samson strapped between two columns there in the temple of the Philistine god Dagon, and he's, he's, he's just his muscles are bulging they're massive and he's roped in and his eyes are put out and, and his hair is, is grown long and he's pushing those columns apart as the people in the crowd behind him are just screaming for their lives I mean it's, it's just it was one of those that has stuck with me I can call it up instantaneously in fact every time I hear the name Samson I see that picture of Samson who was a superman I really wonder sometimes if he had a big S tattooed on his chest or written across his robe you know I don't know if there were telephone booths back then but I'm sure if there were Samson would have used them Samson in the comparison to the Marvel comic character of Superman it's actually a very good comparison because Samson is known for his great feats of strength he's also known because he has his kryptonite well, it's not a little green rock. No, Samson, for his part, has a fatal flaw. He loves his women. We'll talk about that next week. But for all the failing and, and the falling of these judges of, and the, of the Israelites, this morning, gang, and for all of Samson's mistakes that we're going to look at, this morning marks the seventh time we have seen an undercurrent in the book of Judges, the seventh time we have had a dramatic picture of the agape love of of God the Father. So this is the seventh time that Israel fails and falls. We see God's love both in spite of and in light of Israel's unfaithfulness. In spite of and in light of Israel's infidelity, God reveals the nature of agape, unconditional, unmerited, and in this case, and often in our world, unrequited love. A love he continues to pour out and pour out. Verse 1 says, The sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. This is the seventh apostasy of Israel. The seventh failure of Israel in roughly 350 years. You can do the math. That's about 50 years each. They go a generation 
and they fall. And they go a generation, and they fall. And they go a generation, and they fail. Again and again, every new generation of Israel through the history of the judges will fall to apostasy, will turn from the Lord, will chase after other gods. We've studied 13 judges, but the real story here is the seven failings of Israel and the seven times that God has raised up a deliverer in spite of their failings. That's agape. That's a love that says, I will rescue you, though you don't even ask for it. And in this case, they're not even asking. They skip a step in our cycle of judgment that we talked about, going around this cycle. They skip a step of crying out to the Lord. They kind of blow my cycle of judgment out of the water. It doesn't work here. They don't cry out. They're not asking for help. But the Lord will raise up Samson anyway because they need a deliverer and because he is a God of agape love. Every generation, they fall away. Understanding this, do you know, do you realize, do we understand the importance of our children's ministry? The importance of our kids and the responsibility we have to them even here at the bridge. It's not another commercial here. It's a truth. It is a reality. Israel did fine for one generation at a time. A deliverer would come, raise them up, save them from their enemies. They would return to the Lord. But the thing that they failed at more than anything else was passing on the agape love of God to the next generation. They didn't do it. And so with each each successive new generation, the little ones grow up and fall. We don't have a kids' ministry at the bridge so we can pride ourselves on big, impressive programs or so that we can draw families to the bridge, people with kids looking for somewhere to put them on a Sunday morning. We don't have a children's ministry so we can bump our little ones out of the barn so it's a little more quiet and restful while we study the Word. We have a children's ministry so that we can faithfully teach the Father's love week in and week out to each and every child so that we can, for our part, if there is a next generation, know that we are passing along the truth of the love of Jesus Christ to these children so that unlike Israel we won't see apostasy every generation the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 the Lord says hear O Israel and Moses says this the Lord is our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now I heard something this week that was interesting to me and I had to think about it. This statement, our doctrine are like trees that stand between us and the Lord. Our doctrines are like strong trees that get between us and the Lord so that we can't see the Lord and we have to knock them down to get to the Lord. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, that, that's, that is true. Man-made religious doctrine grows these big walls between us and God. And so the question that comes up is we talk about passing along the truth to the next generation, passing it on to our children... The question that comes to mind is how can we know what is of the Lord and what is man-made? For the reality is, gang, the word doctrine is not a bad word. It's a biblical word. It simply means teaching, instruction. 
So how do I know what is the doctrine of the Lord that serves as a bridge to the Father and the doctrine of man that serves as a wall between me and the Father? What's my doctrine made up of? Is it man's ideas or God's word? How can I know? Paul wrote some important letters to a couple of young pastors. Two letters that I read quite often in my own life. Just for guidance and instruction as a pastor myself. I'll go to First and Second Timothy and I'll go to Titus. And I've read through those numerous times. I'm running into a problem. It's amazing how often I find answers right there for, just for pastoring. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 6, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. How do I know what teaching is of God and what is of man? Well, I can go right here. He said to Titus in Titus 1, 9, Hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that you will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. To both of these young pastors, Paul's encouragement was teach the word. Teach the word. He says that phrase over and over. Teach the word, Timothy. Teach the word, Titus. Why? Because Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.3 The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine But wanting to have their ears tickled They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires And will turn away their ears from the truth And will turn aside to myths And that's the problem Israel has They wanted their ears tickled Someone talked about the half man half fish god Dagon And they went, ooh that sounds interesting And off they went Someone talked about the bales, and they went, oh, that's curious, and off they went. Their ears were being tickled. They didn't want to hear the sound doctrine, the teaching of the Torah law, which they had. They ignored it, and in ignoring it, they chased after the doctrines of man, and trees began to grow up between them and the Lord, and they could no longer see the Father, and they fell to apostasy. That's what happens time and time again. And my question is, here, even though we're just in verse 1, what will we learn from the folly of the children of Israel? And what about our children? How can we guide them from the folly of man-made doctrines in the world? Proverbs 22.6, you've heard it many times. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's what this chapter is about, by the way. It's not about Samson yet. It's about his parents. And about his parents saying, what do we do? You're telling us that we're going to have a, a baby here? Obviously special because you told us ahead of time this is happening. Obviously special because the wife is barren. So what do we do? How do we train him up? How do we do this? Mark 10.13 tells us they were bringing children to Jesus so he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. And I like the way Les defines this situation. He shut down church and started playing with the kids. He's in the middle of teaching or healing or doing something incredibly adult important. And the kids are coming. And the apostles say, hey, hey, something else has happened. This is too important here. What we're doing, we're raising up a kingdom. And those kids are just causing us distraction. And the Lord says, no, you don't get it. You're missing the point. Let them come. And the next thing we know, he's got Legos out and he's playing with the kids. You see, Jesus puts the emphasis in the right place. 
the heart of a child and the caring for the kids. And I could go off and, and, and go on and on about this. But we see every generation of Israel failing and each generation experiencing the discipline of the Lord. But we see again in each generation the agape love of the Father saying, Okay, I'm going to come and deliver this generation. I'm going to deliver these children. And when they see me and when they know me, they will walk with me. And He will do it over and over throughout the entire life of Israel. And it is a picture to us, gang, of His faithfulness and of His continuance in loving us. Though we fall to apostasy, He keeps coming back in deliverance. And I believe Father would say to us this morning, Why don't you just stick with me? Why don't you just hang with me? Let's just be together. Which brings me back to the question, How do I do that, Lord? I want that. I want to walk with you. I want to wake in the morning and and know you're there. I want to lie down at night and know you're there. And I want to, as I'm walking in the door of my house, hear your voice. And And as I'm talking to my kids, I want to be with you and know you're there. How do I do this, Lord? I'm going to read on. Tells us he gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. Now, the Philistines were an advanced people. In fact, they were a seafaring people. We know from archaeological digs and studies and finds, we know something about the Philistines. They came from the island of Crete. They sailed across the Aegean Sea into the Mediterranean and they landed on the coastal shores of what is today Israel. They are not connected to, in any way, shape, or form, the Palestinian people of today, though our media would tell you otherwise. See, our media took the bait. And our world has bought into this hook, line, and sinker that Palestinian is, is Philistine. And the Palestinians claim that. They claim, hey, we were here before Israel because we are of the ancient Philistines, but the ancient Philistines were European, not Arabic. The only thing actually that can be connected between today's Palestinians and yesterday's Philistines is their geographical location. It's a place called Gaza. That's where the Philistines were located. That's where they landed. That's where they called home, where they kind of made their foothold in the land. What we today call Gaza. So how did the whole Palestinian, how did they connect themselves to the Philistines? Well, it was, it was a lie concocted in the 1960s by, yes sir, that's my baby Arafat. Prior to about 1965-66, this whole idea didn't even exist. Arafat came up with it to fool the nations and we bought it. It's interesting. I don't know if you're watching Gaza today, if you keep your eyes kind of on the news, the unrest right now in the Palestinian between Hamas and Fatah, they are at civil war. Just among themselves, it's not even a war with Israel, they're just fighting themselves. (laughs) Which game, what the Bible tells us, is exactly what would happen. Now I could go off on a prophecy update, but I'm not going to. Listen, you who desire a closer and more intimate walk with the Lord, pay attention to the rest of this chapter. Watch what happens. Verse 2 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And he gives her instruction. He says, first of all, to her, Be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver the to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now you might notice the first thing the Lord says when he says he's going to be a Nazarite. He says, "But I don't want you to drink any strong drink. I want you to obey the vow of the Nazarite even before your son does." Why is that? Because it starts with mom. 
starts with dads. Passing it on to the next generation starts with how we act, how we behave, what we think, what we do. It's not something we can just tell our kids, it's what we show our kids. And so the Lord tells this woman, He says, don't do any of these things that your son is not going to be able to do. You restrain yourself now so that you can teach your son to do the same later. And He says He's going to be a Nazarite. Now don't be confused because a Nazarite is different than a Nazarene. Not someone who comes from Nazareth. Nazareth, the Hebrew word Nazareth actually is Netzer. It's where Nazareth comes from, Netzer, and it means branch. You've read this word, possibly heard this word in the scriptures before, Jeremiah 23, verse 5. The Lord says, Behold, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Branch. It's another name for Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus, the branch. But a a Nazarite here, in verse 5, is not branch. A Nazarite comes from a different word in Hebrew. It's Nazir. And Nazir simply means to be separated or devoted. To be consecrated to the Lord. So what the angel is telling this woman is, you're going to have a child, though you've been barren. But when you have this child, he is to be separated. Consecrated to God. Unique. Different. Now we first heard about this invitation to consecration back in the book of Numbers. And I'd like you to turn back there for a moment and look at this. Keeping in mind, we are going to get to the answer of our question. Numbers chapter 6 verse 1 talks about the law of the Nazarite. The consecrated one. Anybody in Israel could do this, by the way. You could be walking along one day and go, you know, I, I want to consecrate myself to the Lord. I'm going to take the next six months and be consecrated. I'm going to take the next year and dedicate myself wholly and completely to the Lord. So anybody could do this. You could do this today if you want to. Numbers chapter 6 and verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink. He shall not eat any grape juice, or drink any grape juice, nor eat any fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine from the seas, even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head, for he shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of his hair on his head grow long. And all the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead person. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or his mother or his sister or brother or sister when they die because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he is holy to the Lord. The Nazarite vow. Usually it lasted a few months and anybody could do it. I want to be closer to the Lord. I want to be in the presence of the Lord. It's, it's the question we're asking this morning. I want to take one step closer and just abide in the presence of Jesus for this season. And they could and would do that. It usually only lasted a few months. It's a guess, but it's possible the Apostle Paul took a Nazarite vow. We see in Acts 18, verse 18, that in Centria he had his hair cut, for he had been keeping a vow. 
So it's possible that Paul did this very thing. Sometimes the vow would last as many as 8 to 10 years, but at least for three people that we know of in the Bible, it lasted a lifetime. Samson was a Nazarite. From the day of his birth to the day of his death. Samuel was probably a Nazarite. And there's one more that we read about in the New Testament. Any guesses who that might be? John the Baptist. No drinking, no cutting your hair, no being around death. And all three of these men were very likely Nazarites. We know for sure Samson was. There were three specific expectations for a Nazarite. So if you're jotting things down, you might want to jot down, okay, here is how the Nazarite drew closer to the Lord. Here's how the Nazarite consecrated himself to be with and in the presence of the Lord. And number one, it begins with a clear-headed determination. A clear-headed determination. Verses 3 and 4 tell us no drinking, even to the point of eating grapes or raisins. Ever get drunk on a raisin? I mean, I would think that'd take a lot of Sunday to get that bombed, you know? How many raisins would you have to eat? <laughs> What's the deal here? God is saying, separate yourself. I want you to have a clear mind. Nothing that could get you fuzzy. Well, obviously raisins don't get you fuzzy, but God is saying, I want you to stand back as far as possible. Don't even go there. Don't even approach it. Don't go near to it. The Lord is commanding the Nazarite absolute separation from the thing that can cloud the mind, wine or strong drink. Isaiah 28 verse 7. In a railing prophecy, the Lord says, The priest and the prophet reel from strong drink. They're confused by wine. They stagger from strong drink. They reel while having visions. They totter when rendering judgments. They're not sound. They're wobbly. How can you trust someone in that position? Amos chapter 2 verse 11 says, I raised up some of your sons to be prophets and some of your young men to be Nazarites. Is this not so, sons of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and you commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. Behold, I am weighed down beneath you as a wagon is weighed down when filled with sheaves. What's God saying there? He's saying... It's heavy on me. It's heavy on my heart that I called you to something beautiful and you got confused. And that weighs on me, the Lord says. Proverbs 31.4 says, It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed. And they'll pervert the rights of all the afflicted. What, what is God getting at here? That we shouldn't drink? God is simply declaring this. You need to stay sharp and focused. You want to be consecrated to the Lord. You want to be separated to the Lord. Have a sharp mind. Always. The leaders in the Lord's organization are to be clear-headed people. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15, Paul says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. He says, Then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And if given the option this morning, let me just ask you the question, would you rather be filled with wine or filled with the Spirit? Would you rather have the buzz in your joints and in your mind, a strong drink, or would you rather be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, not confused, but more clear-minded, 
able to think and see things better than you can right now. God told the Nazarites, stay away from strong drink. What does it tell us? Is it just an anti-drinking message? If we think that, we're missing the deeper point. God is not into mind-altering, mystical, confusing religion. That's not God. When you approach the Father, if you're confused, you're not in the presence of the Father. When you approach Jesus, and it's hard and vague and cloudy, it's not Jesus. If you're sharp and clear and you know exactly what he's saying, that's probably the Lord. The Nazarite was not to drink any strong drink because he wants sharp, open-eyed followers. Jesus wants people who prefer the Word, the Bible, over the buzz of religion. And again, Timothy. Paul said to Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They'll want to have their ears tickled. They'll want to accumulate for themselves teachers and according to their own desires. But Paul says, they'll turn away their ears from the truth. They'll turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things. Be sober. Be sharp. Be alert. Be clear-headed. A clear-headed determination is the first call to the Nazarite, the person who wants to be consecrated to the Lord. Now, speaking of a buzz, the next expectation for the Nazarite is a full-headed identification, no haircuts. Verses, uh, verse 5 in Numbers chapter 6. No cutting your hair. For the length of time that you make this vow, you may not cut your hair. Why is that? What's the deal with that? Because in those days, gang, long hair for a man was not the norm. The norm was for an Israelite man to crop his hair and not let it grow long. So God says, the Nazarite will have long hair because I want him called out. I want people to see him coming. I want people to know that there is an undeniable identifying mark on this man that lets people know he has consecrated himself to the Lord for a season. So this hair would be long and it easily identified the Nazarite. That's why Samson's hair is long. That's why the whole thing about the hair getting cut, and we'll get into that and talk about that, that's why that was such an issue. It's not because there was power in his locks. It's because the Lord had consecrated him, called him to a place of consecration, and once that hair got cut, Samson's vow was shattered before the Lord. The Nazarite vow, a clear-headed determination, a full-headed identification, and the challenge to us, if we want to separate ourselves to the Lord, is to go on record as being a Christian. Fully identified with Christ Jesus, be seen for who you are, wherever you are, in Christ. Let your hair down as a follower of Jesus Christ. Some might say, well, if I had a bumper sticker that said Jesus on it, I couldn't speed or honk my horn or make gestures at people. If I wore Christian t-shirts, I couldn't swear or be in certain places. If my Bible sat on my desk at work, people might know and I say amen to that. Let them know so that there can be no sneaking around in the dark. Let everything be in the light as to who you are in Christ Jesus. Let your identification with the Lord be known to all. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, says, To Seth was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. And then men began to, began to call upon the name of the Lord. And that phrase, to call upon the name of the Lord, also can be translated, men began to be called by the name of the Lord. 
I want to be called by the name of the Lord. I want to be called Little Christ Christian. I want to be known as one of those Jesus people. I want that identification. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, though it was meant as a slam against them, it's a wonderful mark, it's a a badge of honor. It says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Oh, you're one of the Christians. Yeah, I am. Yes, that's me. And that's the deal with the Nazarites. Their look spoke volumes about their commitment to the Lord. Samson is the most famous Nazarite on record. Samson, by the way, his name, Shimshon, or Shimson, means sunny. Little sun. Sunny. He was blessed with great strength in the Lord, but as we'll see, and as I said, it's not his hair that held that power. What Sonny didn't understand was the source of his strength was the Holy Spirit. The source of his power was God on him. And all he had to do in that commitment was keep a vow to the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Helps me understand the strength is not in the hair. The strength is not even in the vow, gang. And listen to this. The strength and the power is in the one to whom the vow is made. And so Samson was living out this vow. And you know what happened to him. Well, thirdly, in this Nazarite vow, there's a clear-headed, a clear-headed determination, a full-headed identification, and finally a dead-headed separation. What do you mean by that? Number 6, verse 6, tells us that he was to stay away from dead things. Anything dead, avoid it. What do you mean dead things? Things that will kill your spiritual life. Avoid those things. The dead things of the world. For a Jew touching a dead body made them ceremonially, ceremonially, uh, ceremonially, there's the word, unclean. Which meant if you touched a dead body or you were near a dead body, you could not be in the congregation of the Lord. You couldn't be near to Him. The heart of the Lord listens. The heart of the Lord is to be with you. To have you with Him. And so for a person to be around a dead body in Israel, they had to be separated from the assembly and from the Lord. And God said, I don't want someone who makes a commitment, a Nazarite, I don't want them separate. So they cannot be around dead things. You might ask yourself, are there places I go or people I hang with or entertainment I take in that kill godly passion? Do I touch dead things? Because if I'm touching dead things, I cannot be in the presence. It takes me away from the presence of the Lord. Jesus said in Luke 9.59, Follow me. And the man said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, you go everywhere and proclaim the kingdom of God. Stay away from dead things. And that's the Nazarite vow. Samson, unfortunately, had a passion that killed his Nazarite vow. His love for women was the dead thing in Samson's life. But again, that's next week's study. So you may think, okay, let me understand. You go back to Judges 13. Let me understand this, if I get you right. To be closer to the Lord, to experience more of Jesus, I can take this Nazarite vow? Okay, so don't drink. Don't cut my hair. Don't go to funerals. Got it. That's that's what I do, right? It absolutely amazes me how quickly we attempt to quantify the unquantifiable. How fast we rush to the list instead of to the Lord. 
how quickly we want to know the steps. Give me five steps to being in the presence of God and I'll do it. I'll do it. What are they? Because every time we do those five steps, gang, we find ourselves still saying, okay, there's got to be five more steps because I'm not quite there. And so we attempt to take something so simple and make it so complex. The Nazarite vow, let me just be clear about this, is not how to enter in and remain connected to the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're saying we just wasted our time. No, it's an interesting study, but that's not how you get to Jesus. It's not how you do it. Listen closely to the rest of the story. Verse 6, the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome, and I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And now you shall not drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the, from the womb to the day of his death. Now watch this. Then Manoah entreated the Lord. He said, Oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again, that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. I need the steps, Lord. I need to know what to do. Can you, can you give me the steps here? And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again, Interesting, not to Manoah. He came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And guys, I know it's Father's Day, but i got to tell you, I think the reason why often our wives hear the Lord when we don't is because they're sitting in the field and we're off at work. We're off busy making it happen. The Lord comes back to not Manoah and his wife as they're both together. They're kneeling down, praying, seeking the Lord, waiting on the Lord. No, he comes back to the wife. Why? Because she's sitting in the field. I don't know what she's doing. I have a guess. I think she was out there just waiting. Waiting, expecting. Manoah's not there. Where's Manoah? I don't know. Off at work. Off at the boys. Not waiting. Not expecting. A little side note here, guys. Women have a spiritual connection that we lack and we need. And it's a beautiful thing and it's an important thing. Ladies, it's also why Eve was deceived at the very beginning. Satan said, do you want to be more like God? And Eve said, I can be more like God? I can be more spiritual? I can be more godly? I would love to be more like God. Have a bite of the apple. God knows you'll be more like God. You'll be godly. Isn't that often the the desire of the ladies? To be godly? And then come along and the apple looks good. So we just eat it. There's nothing spiritual, spiritual about Adam's failure. Eve's deception was spiritual. Because, and I just, there's something innate about women that they have an easier time entering into the spiritual while us guys are trying to figure it out. Us guys, like Manoah, are saying, okay, you appear to the woman, I need you to appear to me and I need you to tell me what to do. We'll read on. The woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? I like what he says about his wife. The woman? (laughs) And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? And so listen to this. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. Catch that? 
let the woman pay attention to what I already told her. You want more information? I've given it to you. You already know what you need to know. Manoah wants more info so he can determine the will of the Lord. And the Lord says, let the woman pay attention to all that I said. Manoah, you already know the answer. You've already got it. It's already there. Why are you asking for more when I've given you all you need? It's here. It's present. It's with you. You're trying so hard to figure this out that you've missed what I have already spoken. And to those of us who are hungering after the presence of Jesus Christ, this is what I meant earlier when I said you already know the answer. It's already been given. We already have the answer. How do I get into the presence of Jesus? You know. And you don't need me to tell you. You already know. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these things He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Isn't that it? Isn't that what you want? To be a partaker of the divine nature? To be surrounded by the very presence of God and to be able to partake of that having escaped the the corruption all the stuff of the world the trees that grow between us and the Lord Peter says you've already got it the Lord says let the woman pay attention to what I already said pay attention it means to heed to heed or to keep keep what I've given you keep what I've said Jesus already paved the way. He already built the bridge. He already blazed the trail. And we can have, listen to this, we can have as much Jesus as our little hearts can take. The issue is not Jesus coming into our area. The issue is my little heart. My little heart is a little heart. And there are times when the whole idea of the presence of Jesus is so big I'm afraid it's going to burst my heart listen God knows your heart so well He's going to fill it and stretch it but He's not going to pop it wide open and when it grows and stretches we get accustomed to it and we begin to walk now with this new and bigger heart the Lord is pleased and we're pleased because we're walking with Him but we get to a point in our lives where that heart isn't big enough we want a bigger heart so the Lord says alright and he grows and stretches it some more and we think oh no my heart's going to burst it's it's almost too much and he stops and keeps it right there this is kind of the dynamic of the relationship with Jesus Christ we have in this life the heart grows and then he allows us rest and then it grows and it's wonderful and then he allows us rest but I'll tell you something if the heart's not growing If it's not growing, if it's the same today as it was two years ago, maybe you haven't asked lately for more of the presence of the Lord. 
You see, it's not about what you do. It's not about what you can achieve. We say this over and over. We tend to talk about this in terms of grace. It's not about what we do that, that gains us access to our eternal salvation. But set that aside for a moment. Let me assume that every single person in here is a saved person, and I believe you all are. You've asked Jesus into your heart, and you've accepted him. Okay, so, so there's eternal salvation. That's set forth. Lock, side, and barrel. It's right. We're good, good, good to go. Okay, it's there. Grace, gang, is an ongoing thing where our hearts can continue to grow and expand. And what we do will not grow our hearts. Taking lots of notes, though it will help in your study and your understanding, is not going to. You don't take. Okay, I got the three bow things of the Nazarite here this morning. I'm going to go home and start looking. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm not going to cut my hair. Some of you need to cut your hair. I need to cut my hair because when my hair grows these days, it never gets long. It just gets weird. So I have to cut it. So I can't be a Nazarite. I'm right out. But some of you maybe are thinking, okay, no drinking, long hair, and don't go to funerals, which I don't like much anyway. So I can do that. It's not what you do that expands your heart. It's not how we choose to dictate our lives legalistically that gets us more of the Lord Jesus. Verse 13 again in the chapter, and I have this highlighted and circled. Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. You already have all that you need. But I so desperately want to be in the presence of Jesus. And here's the deal. Listen, Manoah was in the presence of Jesus and he didn't know it. He was standing in the very presence of Jesus Christ Himself. And He did not know it. Read verse 15. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not know he was in that he was the angel of the Lord. He didn't know who this was. You might say, well, Rick, that's not Jesus. That's just the angel of the Lord. And if you've been around the bridge for a while, you probably go, okay, this is Rick pointing out that he thinks this is another theophany, another Christophany, another Old Testament appearance of Jesus. Although it says angel. I know Rick's a little off on this. He's a little nutty about this whole Jesus and the Old Testament thing. But it just says angel, does it? Read on. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. Some of your Bibles might say incomprehensible or secret. But the name is wonderful. Don't miss this. The name of this person standing there with Manoah and his wife is the name of Jesus Christ. It is wonderful. In the Hebrew, Pili, and it's the same name ascribed to Messiah in Isaiah 9.6 that says his name will be called Wonderful. Isn't that great? Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, this is all Jesus. He is wonderful. And Manoah didn't know he was in the presence of the Wonderful One. 
she didn't have any idea that he was there with Mr. Wonderful himself until the Wonderful One went up in the flame of the altar of sacrifice and ascended into heaven. That's when Manoah got it. That's when he realized. That's when he said, we shall surely die for we have seen not an angel, God. We've seen God. And he had... In the person of Jesus Christ, you might remember, wait, the Bible says no man can see God and live. That's right. That's why he came in the flesh in the person of Jesus, so that we could see and understand and know him. Manoah's freaking out, and his wife said, well, if he was going to kill us, why did he tell us all these things? We are in the presence of the Holy. And he does not mean to kill us. He does not mean to burst our hearts wide open. If he meant to do that, why would he have told you what he's told you? The centurion, Mark 15, 39, was standing right in front of Jesus and saw the way he breathed his last and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Same thing with Manoah. He's in the presence of Jesus. And when the sacrifice is offered and and Jesus goes up in the flame of sacrifice and ascends into heaven, then Manoah says, Surely this was God. Truly, this was God. Now here's the point of all of this. When we strive... Even if we're striving to see or hear or be with the Lord, we will miss His wonderful presence, though He's right there. Striving will never gain access to the Father. And we do it. I want to be with you, Lord. I want more of you. Help me get. I don't know how to do it. I want more. i got to know. I need to have a list of things. I'm going to try this this week. And maybe this week I'll get closer to the Lord if I do this. But when we strive, we miss it. When we strive, the Lord's saying, I'm right here. I want more. Okay? I'm right here. But I want more. Okay, but I'm right here. I love the resurrection appearance of Jesus. John chapter 17. You know the story. Mary is walking along and and her mind is just buzzing. She's not in the grave. The other woman has gone on ahead and and, and Peter and John, they they don't know what's going on. Everybody's confused and everybody's striving to figure out what's happened to the body of Jesus. And he shows up to Mary. And what does she do? She clings to him. She claims she grabs hold of him. Oh, Lord, it's you. You're here. You're here. And Jesus, in such sweet, gentle words, says, Mary, stop clinging to me. Oy vey. Stop clinging. I haven't yet ascended to my Father. There's a passage that people will read and go, oh, there was something Holy Spiritual weird going on there and she wasn't supposed to touch him because maybe her hand would go right through him because he was a ghost or something, right? No. Mary is clinging to Jesus for all she is worth. And he says, sweetheart, you can let go. I'm not going anywhere. What a picture of my life. I am clinging to Jesus. Don't go. Don't leave me. Be with me. I need this. I need more of you. And he says... You don't have to clean. I'm right here. I'm right here. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God or by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, Hey, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5 says, He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And the problem, gang, is not with His promised abiding presence. It's with our discontented striving. So what do we do? We're right back to the question. What do I do? And the Lord would say, Cease striving. And know that I'm God. That's too simple. I know. That's why we have trouble doing it. Psalm 46.10 Cease striving. I know some of your Bibles say, Be still. It's literally cease striving. And know that I am God. But, but what if... What if I'm in that place and I'm unrelaxed and I'm breathing and I'm still and I don't see God? Be still just a little bit longer. Cease striving. What if God doesn't show up on Sunday? I mean, man, we have prepared for Him to come. What if He doesn't? Cease striving and know that I am God. And so it's a wonderful secret that you already know God is with you. And God is here. And God loves you so much He wants to draw you to Jesus. You're not asking the Father to do something He doesn't want to do. You're asking the Father to do something that He wants you to ask Him to do. Draw me near. Draw me near. Let that be the prayer on your lips and be still. For you are in the wonderful presence of the Lord.